Just a couple uh, couple quick reminders. Uh, first off, a, a correction, and Mark was, we gathered this Thursday night for family night. It goes from 6 to 7.30, and so I uh, invite you to be a part of that. It's always a great time there. So the other thing that I need to do is I need to address a concern that happened last week at the end of the message, and you need to know that when pastors are working on their messages, there are three messages that end up being that, that end up happening. The one is the one that the pastor is preparing to preach. Then the second message is the one that they actually preach. And then the third message is the one that they preach to themselves after they've done preach the first one, and they realize, wow, there were so many other things I needed to bring up that I didn't. Hope that makes sense. So last week at the end of the message, I sat down and immediately thought, John, you forgot to address this main issue, and I guarantee you people are going to ask you questions about why you didn't. Well, lo and behold, within 30 seconds of me being at the door, people said, why did you not address this particular issue? So I'm going to address it now. The issue is this, as we looked at Mark chapter 8 last week and we talked about the biggest question that anyone can ever answer and it is, who do you say I am? Peter responds and says, you are the Messiah and you would think that there's all types of rejoicing that that Peter got it right and the apostles got it right, but it's interesting what Jesus does at that point. He immediately says this, he says, please don't say a word. It's very odd. It strikes us as, as strange because you would think that Jesus would say, please get that word out there, get, let people know. And so many of you came up and said, hey, what, why did he say don't say a word? Well, one of the things that you'll see as you read through the Gospels is this, is that there are different miracles that Jesus does, and at different times Jesus says, please don't say anything to anybody about this. And it doesn't make much sense to us, does it? Jesus says, you need to share with everybody out there about who I am, but we need to keep the context in mind. When Jesus says, don't say anything, it's because people had their own ideas of who he was, and they weren't ready for who he truly was. So when he says, please be quiet, it isn't, hey, keep this message down forever and ever and ever. No, it's in that particular time, people had an idea of a Messiah being a warrior, being one that was going to come in and just dominate the Romans and wipe them out. And Jesus said, you guys can't handle what the real Messiah is. And so that's why Jesus says, keep it quiet. And on the different miracles that, he, that, that happened in the Gospels, and there are times when he says, hey, be quiet about this, it's because that particular area that Jesus did the miracle in, they were not ready to accept who Jesus Christ was as Messiah. Now, we're on the other side of the resurrection, which means the following. We have a green light all the time to share about who Jesus Christ is. The resurrection confirms everything that Jesus Christ did and said. And because of that, we get to share that great news with everybody that we meet. So I wanted to address that issue. And by the way, if you have any concerns or questions after you hear me preach or whatever, please don't be afraid to ask me. I'm I'm more than happy to to listen. I'm more than happy to to research it better and and help you understand more more fully what's going on here, okay? So I have a green light there. You have my email address. Uh, Many of you have my phone number. Please just let me know. I'll be more than happy uh, to talk to you and and listen to your concerns about that, okay? So we're going to wrap that up. We're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. This is our first Sunday in 2020. 
It's going to be a great year. I guarantee it. It's going to be a great year in so many different ways. Some of you are getting married, Kylie and Tim. Congratulations. We're excited about that. So that's good. Um, some, some of us are going to become grandparents for the first time, so that's a, that's a neat deal. We're very excited about that. And all of us are rejoicing in this. The New England Patriots will not be in the Super Bowl this year, so we're grateful for that. It's going to be a great year, okay? So, of course, neither are the Raiders, by the way. <laughs> of course, neither are the Steelers, so let's move on. But 2020 is going to be a great year. The reason why it's going to be a great year is because we have a God who continues to do great things. He continues to be the one who gives us hope. He continues to be the one that reminds us that he is with us always, no matter what happens in our lives. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about our one message, our one purpose, and our one response. If this is the first Sunday you've been here, or if perhaps you've been here for a little while and, and you're curious about what we take seriously here, it's a great time for you to be here with us because you're going to hear about this message, you're going to hear about what our purpose is, and you're going to hear about what our response is. And we're going to walk through these things. And, and, and as we walk through this first one about our one message, what, what occurred to me as I was working on the message was this, was that there are so many messages out there so many messages out there that are very effective in getting our attention. And so this is going to be a little uh, congregation participation type thing as we talk about making a daily resolution here in just a few moments. But you're going to see a phrase pop up on the screen, and if you know what it's advertising, please just let us know, okay? I started off, in my opinion, with one of the easiest ones of all time, and it's this. The phrase is, give me a break, give me a break, Break me off a piece of that. Congratulations. Originally, I was going to give the person who answered that a Kit Kat bar, but 50 of you answered, I'm not going to give 50 Kit Kat bars. But we get it, right? Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Second one is this. 15 minutes or less could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. Geico. We know, all right? So how many have actually done that? How many have actually, anybody have Geico insurance? One, two, three. Their ad campaign's not really effective, I'll just say that. But no, there you go. So did you really say 15% or more? Okay, there you go. Okay, so that confirms it. All right, so this third one I think is going to be, it could stump some of us, if not all of us, but here we go. The best or nothing at all. The best or nothing at all. What company is that? Mercedes-Benz. All right. Many of you didn't say Mercedes-Benz because none of us have a Mercedes-Benz. So there you have it. So, all right. So, and those of you that do, those are sweet cars. That's all there is to it. So here we go. This one's a fun one. I love these commercials an awful lot. It says this, we know a thing or two because we have seen a thing or two. Farmer's insurance. Bonus if you can get the little, the little uh, rhythm that they give you at the end. There you go. Thank you, Jamal. Okay, so that's good. Okay, so that works. Last one is this one. And this one is not going to help all of us who are hungry right now. I'll just leave it at that. No one out pizzas the hut. It's about Pizza Hut. All right? Doesn't that sound good right now? Pizza? It sounds good to me. Some of you are like, well, I started a new resolution that involves not having pizza. Well, break it today. No, I'm just joking. So here we go. But here's why I did this. I did this for this reason. 
Each one of these companies has been in existence for less than 100 years, each and every one of them. And that's easy. I mean, they've been in existence for less than 100 years. Yet every single one of those companies that I listed and that we went through their phrase, we knew their message. We knew their jingle. We knew what they were trying to communicate. And how do we know? It's because either A, we've, we've uh, have that particular type of insurance or we've had a Kit Kat bar or we've had pizza or whatever, but we've seen it before us and we hear this message over and over again by these companies. And this is where things change. What if I were to tell you, what if I were to tell you that there has been a message around for almost 2,000 years, and frankly, if you pushed me on it, it's been around for thousands of years before that, that has changed lives, restored hope, restored communities, transformed communities, yet it is also a message that has been ignored that has been disregarded, and at times has been disobeyed to the point where people have lost hope, been hurt, and wonder if anyone actually truly lives out that one message. What if I were to tell you that this message has been around for a long time? What if I were to tell you that in the process of this message being around, when it is lived out, everything changes? Nothing stays the same. What if I were to tell you that this one message transforms lives, gives hope, rather than takes lives and takes more than we could ever give? All those companies that I listed earlier, they claim all these different things. But not a one of them, not a one of them gives you anything when you break it down. You might have that momentarily joyous experience of a Kit Kat bar, but yet that sugar high doesn't last forever. But the message that we're talking about, this one message that we proclaim here, is a message that changes lives. And I would encourage you to make it a daily resolution in your life. I invite you now to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Scroll that on your phone, or if you want to use the Bible that's in the pew rack, it's on page 828. And we pick it up in Matthew chapter 22. We pick it up in verse 34. Listen to these words that Matthew writes. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we can see clearly this one message that you desire us to live out. That you would speak to our minds so that we could 
understand more fully what it means to live out this one message. That you would open our ears so that we could hear what that one message is and, and more fully be in tune with that message that you are constantly communicating. And that you would open our hearts so that we would be transformed to share this one message with a world that desperately needs to hear this one message and see this one message lived out. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that no one would hear anything I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear, and that you would receive all glory, that you would be lifted up. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Another quick aside. I want to say to Daryl and Gunter, thank you guys for sharing on KON the other night about the relationship that you guys have. It gave great hope and it, gave, it, it, it ministered to so many people. And I wanted to say thank you for doing that thing. That was, that was really good. Very well done. So, and if you haven't, if, uh, I encourage you to go on the KON, KION website and, and you'll scroll and you'll find this great piece that was about Daryl and, and Gunter and their friendship and all that they've been through. It, is, it, was, it was fantastic. Great job, you guys. And you even look pretty good on camera, you know, so. But Gunter, you looked really good. We'll just leave it at that, okay? Daryl, we'll talk later. But let's get back to this. So we have these Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's going on in Matthew 22 is people are questioning Jesus. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to, to trip him up. But Jesus Christ can't be tripped up. He never is tripped up. And we read this in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Well, one of the things I want to do for the next few minutes is to sort of, not sort of, I want to give you a Pharisee and Sadducee primer. What I mean by that is so you understand who these two groups of people are. Because as you read through the Gospels, you run into the Sadducees a few times here and there. You run into the Pharisees a whole lot. And oftentimes we're going, wait a second, who are these people? What are they about? So let's just run through this real quickly. The first thing that we need to know is this, is that these two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, do not play well together. They do not get along at all. They find each other annoying. They find each other self-righteous. They find each other wrong. They don't like each other. It's like oil and water. They don't mix at all. And so, as we talk about this, know this, that there's tension there. But, at, but what's interesting is they have a common enemy, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's interesting when enemies have a common enemy, then they make some uneasy alliances. And that's what's going on here between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So here are some basics about the Sadducees. First thing that you need to know is this, is that they're more of a political party than a religious party. They aligned themselves. They didn't want to rock the boat with the Romans, and so they said, you know what, we're going to let the Romans do what they want to do, but we're going to continue to do our own thing, and we're going to acquiesce in different areas. And so it, it's much more of a political party than a religious party. And here's the other thing. Their reputation on the street was not exactly good. They were considered rude, arrogant, power-hungry, wealthy, and argumentative. When you met a Sadducee, prepare yourself to be argued with. They would argue with you about whether or not the sky really is blue, whether or not grass really is green. 
They would argue with you about anything. The whole point was they wanted to prove that you weren't as enlightened and as intelligent as they were. Next thing you need to know about the Sadducees is this, is that they denied God's involvement in everyday life. God was sort of out here doing his own thing, and we're down here. There's no real connection here, which is why they're much more of a political party than a religious party, but they had quite a bit of influence. So they just believed that God really wasn't overly involved. What saddens me is that sometimes in all of our lives, we're Sadducees that we don't think God is overly involved in our lives. And so we have to be careful here. So this was part of what they, what they believed. Another part of what they believed was this, that they denied any resurrection of the dead. Believing this, that once you die, it's over. There is no, and it goes to the next one, there is no afterlife. You're here for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is, and then once it's over, it's over. That's all there is to it. You're done. And then they also denied the existence of a spiritual world, meaning that angels and demons did not exist. They were very much what you see is what you get. There was no, there was no belief that, that, that there were the heavens that, that, uh, that had, had angelic beings, and there was no belief that, that there were demons out there that could possess people and things like that. They were very matter-of-fact people. So that's the Sadducees, and you can see why Jesus and the Sadducees had some issues with one another. But then, you, then we go to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, what's interesting here as we look at verse 34 is hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Here's the reason why the Pharisees got together. They said, good, Jesus shut them down. Obviously, now is our time to strike, and these Sadducees are going to realize that we are far better off than they are. So let's go through some of the basics of the Pharisees. First is this. They believe that God controls all things, yet people have freedom to decide in their daily life. Sort of makes sense. Sounds very consistent with the way many of us live our lives. We believe God is sovereign, and yet we have some freedom to do, not some, but we have freedom to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to go about doing this. The Pharisees believe that there is a resurrection of the dead. Okay, they understood that full well. They also believe this, that there is an afterlife, that there are consequences, that there are rewards and punishments for the way people conduct their lives. All of this to this point makes a whole lot of sense. It seems to be pretty consistent with what Jesus Christ proclaims. And the next point illustrates that as well. They believe that the spiritual world does exist, that angels and demons and, 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 and spiritual forces are real. They believe that there's more going on than what we can see. They believe that there's all types of different things going on. And then here's where the Pharisees made a significant contribution to the Jewish way of living. They were involved in creating what is called the Mishnah, which is the quote-unquote rule book for how Jews are to live their lives. 
Back in the Old Testament, when, when the Jews get taken off by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, what ends up happening is they, they, have, they, they don't know how they're going to conduct themselves when they're in a world, when they're in an area that is, doesn't have a temple, doesn't have all these things. And so the Pharisees worked to put together what was called the Mishnah so that they could continue the traditions, continue the, the, uh, the vibrancy, if you will, of what it means to be a Jew. The Pharisees were instrumental in this. And that's where things take a turn. The Pharisees believed this, that their oral tradition carried as much weight as God's word. They believed that what they believed about what God's word said and their interpretations of it and the traditions that they established were just as powerful as what God's word actually says. This is an area that can get us into a lot of trouble. One of the things that I state quite frequently in the, in the Thursday night Bible study that I, that I have the privilege of leading is this, is that one of the things that we always have to be careful of is this, is that when we tell God who God is, we are setting ourselves up for a lot of trouble. Our theology is to always be informed from God's perspective through his word. Rather than, and this is what, what people tend to do, is that we then say, this is what God's word says because this is what my theology says. You, you understand how that gets messed up? So the Pharisees believed that God's word says this, this, and this because it was based on what they wanted God's word to believe rather than God's word informing their theology. Hence, why Jesus and the Pharisees didn't see eye to eye very often. They clashed. So there is this tension here in verse 34. And so we, then we come to this, one of the Pharisees, verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one? Which one is the greatest commandment? Because we believe that there's something different, something unique about you. We want to know what you have to say about this. What I want us to realize is this, is that Jesus Christ is always open to questions. There's no question that you can ask him that he's going to say, wow, I wish you wouldn't have asked that. Or wow, you caught me off guard with that one. Jesus Christ enjoys dialogue. Jesus Christ enjoys interacting in our lives. What's fascinating is the Sadducees think that God is some far-off being that doesn't want anything to do with us. The Pharisees say, well, God could, when he shows up, he's going to interact with us. Here's the reality. God loves interacting with us. In the middle of your day when things are going awry, Ask God, hey, what's going on here? How can you help me through this? He's not going to be intimidated by that. Not one bit. We have freedom because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We have freedom to ask questions, and we have freedom to interact with God, and he loves to interact with us. Perhaps you're here this morning thinking that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. I'm here to tell you that's just not true. God cares so much about us. He sent Jesus to be with us, to, to die for us, to rise from the dead for us. He enjoys us. He understands us fully. And he says, please ask your questions. Please ask your questions. And so this expert in the law says, what's the one commandment? 
What's the one commandment that is the greatest commandment of all? Here we go. There are 613 laws found in the first five books of your Bible. 613 laws. 248 of those laws are positive, meaning go do this, go do this. They're very positive. Okay, worship the Lord, you know, honor, the, honor your parents, all those types of things. Very positive. 248 are positive. 365 of them are negative. Do not murder, do not steal, do not give false witness, do not do this, do not do that. Many of you are, are, are thinking, wait, I thought there were only 10 commandments. Yeah, there are only 10 commandments, but there are 613 laws. And the Pharisees knew every single one of them. Not only did they know every single one of them, they also then knew how to interpret that law. They knew their stuff. And so this Pharisee says, there are six, knowing there are 613 laws. I want you, if you're so great, Jesus, I want you to give us the one that matters the most. There are two facts of, of humanity in Jesus Christ that I want to share with you right now. Fact number one, people always want to know the easy way. We always want to know the easy way. We want to know what's most efficient. We want to know how we can get from A to B and not do any type of securitist route. We want to know the easy way. Growing up, my father would ask me to do a variety of things, and one of them was to help him work on the cars. I was horrible at it. And when I say horrible, I mean horrible. My dad said a few things out loud that were not very kind. I'll just leave it at that. But I was always looking for the easy way to get this job done. And my dad would tell me again and again, he'd say, hey, listen, when you were doing something like this, it's going to take time. There is no easy way to do this particular project. And so I would continue to listen to what he was saying, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know what, Dad, when I'm older, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'll pay people to fix cars. As you can tell, not a professional athlete. I've never even played one on TV. But the point is, we always look for the easy way. We always do. All the time. And that's what the Pharisees are trying to do here. They're looking for an easy way. They're looking for out of the 613, just give us one. Because if we can get that one, this is going to make our lives a whole lot easier. So people are always looking for the easy way. But here's the other part of the reality and the fact is this. Humans always look for the easy way. And here's fact number two about Jesus. Jesus always shows the best way. He always shows the best way. Jesus Christ is not about easy. Jesus Christ is about what is best. Jesus Christ is not always about the, 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 the safe, and narrow, safe and wide path. Jesus Christ is about the road that is less traveled, the road that, that, that is narrow. Jesus Christ always knows what's best for us, for all of us. We want what's easy. Jesus Christ wants what's best. 
John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus Christ says this, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Meaning in the midst of the great times, you're going to have great times. But in the midst of those difficult times, they're going to be difficult and you're going to be able to go through them. You're not going to, you don't have to take a shortcut because Jesus Christ is right there in the midst of it. We want what's easy. He wants what's best. And you can almost see Jesus at this point in verse 36 after the question's asked. You can almost see Jesus get a smile on his face saying, I'm glad you asked. So they asked the question. Verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus Christ does not hesitate with his response. Jesus Christ does not look at this Pharisee and sit there and go, wow, that's a really good question. Jesus Christ immediately responds and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's immediate. Remember, they were looking for the easy way. Jesus Christ is going to provide the best way. And the best way is by loving God with everything you have. And love, let's, let's just break this word love down. Love is not when you feel like it. It is an always action. I've had the joy and I mean this sincerely, I've had the joy of being married to Don for 28 plus years. That being said, I've also had difficulties. Don and I have had difficulties in our lives where things are not clicking that well, where I'm saying one thing and she's hearing another. I don't know if anybody else has ever had that problem. I didn't think so, Greg. So, but my point is, there were times when I didn't have all these warm fuzzies in me. But yet, I'm still called to love my wife. Love is not always about warm fuzzies. Love is about looking out for what's best for the other person all the time. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Loving him about everything in your life. And when you love God, here's the thing about loving God. Loving God produces change in our lives, and get this, and in the lives of those around us. When we truly love God, when we give our entire lives to him, it doesn't just impact our lives. It impacts everybody else who we're around. Notice what he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means give it everything. The, the heart was, 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 this, was the seat of, of where you're going to get your unction, where you're going to get your motivation to do things. That means when I'm motivated, that means I'm doing this for God. I'm loving him through my actions. And then he says, with all your soul, that's about the conscience. That's about doing the right thing, doing the God thing in the midst of life. 
actually taking, taking time to think through what's going on and how you're going to, to process this and, and what are the implications of this particular thing and love him with your mind. I want to talk about that for just a few moments. Just as we've been bombarded in our lives with all types of jingles that we remember and it, they lock in our minds and that we can, then, we can then go out and buy a Kit Kat bar or get Geico insurance or whatever the case may be, our minds are constantly being bombarded with different messages. And what Jesus Christ is saying here is, I want you to love me with all your mind. We believe that the way we conduct our lives and the way we think through our lives is essential here at First Baptist. We believe it. One of our core values is spiritual formation. Spiritual formation meaning that God is going to, to, to transform our, the way we look at things, the way we think through things. And I want right now to invite you to get involved or participate in one of the many Bible studies that we have here every single week. We have a lot of different things going on taught by gifted individuals, very gifted individuals. And I'm going to plug two, two, two situations uh, about that, that start next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're Miriam Parks, who is uh, a marriage and family counselor and does a great job with this, she's going to be leading a class for the next number of weeks on parenting. If you're interested in this and, and hearing from a Bible, what, what, what the Bible has to say about parenting and what it means to be a Christ-following parent, I, I invite you to participate in that. And perhaps you're a grandparent who's very involved in, in raising your grandchildren. This, this class is a great opportunity for you to learn how to live this out, how to live out loving the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. And the other class that we're offering next week, beginning next week, is going to take a look at, look at what, how, how did our Bible come together? We talk about getting to know God's Word better. Well, we realize this, as, as, as we talked about as this as a spiritual formation team, we talked about, wait a second, there are a lot of questions that people have that we're not addressing. And so at 9 o'clock next week, we're going to take a look at, we're going to start this series with a variety of, of teachers that are, that are gifted teachers. They're going to address how the Bible came into being, the different genres that are presented in the Bible, how to study your Bible properly, and, and different tools that you can use. I invite you to participate in that. The parenting class takes place in, in what we call our garden room, which is the room across the lobby here. The other one is, is, is in a room called the fireside room, which is, which is off to the right down in this area. So I invite you to be there for that. That's what, uh, that's what, that's what is involved in, in following the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. The other thing is this. Fully loving God means loving God also in our financial generosity. I want to say this real quickly. I need to thank many, if not all of you, for your faithful generosity to the ongoing ministry of this church. Part of what we're doing in 2020 is going to involve each one of us stepping up again, stepping out in faith, saying, Lord, we want you to, we want you to continue doing great ministry here, and how can we step up and how can we be more generous financially? And I need to share this with you, and I apologize that, I, that it's taken me this long to do this. Almost two years ago, we started the Haggai Project. We asked for pledges. People responded. They said, we're going to, we're going to commit to this much money. 
And let me tell you something. And the finance team, when we met a few weeks ago, said this. They said, this is remarkable, the response that we've had to this. X number of dollars, I believe it was $118,000 was pledged to the Haggai Project, which was renovating the sanctuary and the lobby and, and other things from a technological standpoint. Many of you have contributed manual labor, and I say thank you for that. You have done an amazing job there. Again, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've shown that, and we appreciate the giftedness there. But, and, and then on top of that, people pledged $118,000. That's what they said. We are, we are going to pledge this. We're going to make a two-year commitment. Listen to this. We have brought in, not we, the church has followed through and as of today, more than $92,000 of what is pledged has come in. 80%. It's unheard of. Unheard of. When we love the Lord our God with our financial resources, we're a generous people. And you are a generous people. I invite you to continue to be generous so that we can continue to see God do great things. He's provided for us, and he'll continue to provide for us in so many different ways. See, loving God isn't simply about showing up on a Sunday morning. Loving God is living out our lives fully. And that's what Jesus Christ is driving at here. You wanted me to give you the one commandment out of the 613 that was the biggest and the best and the greatest. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then notice what Jesus does. He says, oh, and by the way, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no hesitation here. The one message is this. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we were to take the time, we could flip over a few pages to Luke chapter 10. Because Jesus Christ is asked by a Pharisee, who is my neighbor? If this great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, I want to know who my neighbor is. Again, I'm looking for the easy way out. Jesus is all about giving the best way. So Jesus shares this story, and it's known as the Good Samaritan story. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were hated. They were despised. And the hero of the story is a Samaritan. And when the Pharisee is asked this question by Jesus, so who did what was right here? The Pharisee didn't even have the courage, couldn't even say the Samaritan. The, his response is the one who did the good deed. He, didn't, he couldn't even utter the word Samaritan. The answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The answer is this. Loving your neighbor means the world is your neighborhood. Every person you meet, we are to love them. It means when you're at Star Market or Lucky or whatever, you are caring for people. You're looking out for people. It means when you get cut off in traffic. Not that any of us have ever had that happen in this state. 
it doesn't mean giving them the one finger salute and moving on. It means you got to love them. You got to care for them. Why? Because they are your neighbor. Every person you meet in your life is your neighbor. And when we realize that, it changes the way we view humanity. There are hurting people out there who share with you hurts in their lives, and perhaps these hurting people have hurt you. The way we love them is not by hurting them back. The way we love them is by praying for them and by coming alongside them and saying, how can I help you? It's a radical way of living. And it's a way of living that this world desperately needs to see. It's a way of living that no longer sees people as a problem, but sees people as, 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 as precious in God's sight. And hear me on this. There are plenty of people in all of our lives that are really difficult to love. Don't think that it's easy. Remember, we look for easy. Jesus looks for the best. And so when we're in those situations where we are totally aggravated with someone, we don't sit there and get aggravated with them and lash out at them. What we do is by loving them, we say this, Lord, I need you right now to give me the love for that person. Lord, I love you. And the way that I love you is going to be by loving this person that really is on my last nerve. Jesus Christ is not afraid to be involved in the icky things of your life, in the difficult relationships in your life. And Jesus Christ invites us to live this one message of loving God and loving people. He invites us to do that because he lived that one message every moment of his life. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like him at all. But Jesus Christ responded to them by telling them the truth, by loving them and helping them and, and doing all that he could to help them see who God truly is. He lived it out all the time. There was never a moment that he did not care for people. There was never a moment that he did not love the Father. There was never a moment where he failed in those two tasks. So, Lord, I'm asking you, we want to know 613, we have the 613 commandments. We've got them locked in. We want to know what's the one greatest one. And Jesus' response is, love God and love people. He thought he was going to get an easy answer. Instead, he got the best answer that changes the world. FBC Salinas' one message lines up pretty well with what Jesus Christ is saying here. And that one message is, love God, love people. Now here it is in 2020. It's our task, for lack of a better word, 
It's our task to live it out each and every day. That's why I said, that's why I've entitled this message a daily resolution. That we daily resolve to love God. That we daily resolve to love God as we go through all of our lives, as we, in, in, in the way we think, in the way we conduct ourselves, in the way we interact with others. It's loving God and it's loving our neighbor. It's loving people. It's impossible to truly love people if we're not loving God. And it's impossible to say that you love God if you're not loving people. Those two things come together. It forms one message. The one message of FBC Salinas is this. Love God, love people. I invite you, I invite each and every one of you to participate in living out this message in 2020 every single day. And I guarantee you this, if we do that, God will continue to do even greater things than we ever thought he could. And we'll continue to see lives transformed. I invite you to join us as we live out that one message. Father, we pray now. As we consider these words, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open us up to living lives that have one message of loving you and loving people. Lord, right now in our minds, there are people that we struggle to love, we struggle to care for, we struggle to forgive. And it is my prayer that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would prompt us to love them with a godly love that restores, that regenerates, that refreshes, that forgives. Lord, help us there. May FBC Salinas be a church of one message, of loving you with everything we have, thought, word, and deed. May that be true in our lives each and every day of 2020 and beyond. And may it also be true that we love people, no matter who they are, that we would love them with a love that is founded on your grace, with a love that comes from you. Oh Lord, do your work in our midst in 2020. Have mercy on us for the times that we have forgotten the one message. And help us daily to resolve to living out this one message of loving you and loving people. Help us, Lord. We love you, and we thank you that you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.